I am 
The young lions do like suffer hunger, but they that seek the Lord shall not want any good thing. Come, you children, hearken to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. What man is he that desireth life and loveth many days, that he may see good? Keep thy tongue from evil, and thy lips from speaking guile. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil, to call up, cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous cry, and the Lord heareth them, and delivereth them out of all their troubles. The Lord is nigh to them of a broken heart, and saveth such as gives a contrite spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivereth him out of them all. He keepeth all his bones, not one of them is broken. Evil shall slay the wicked, and they that hate the righteous shall be desolate. The Lord redeemeth the soul of his servants, and none of them that trust in him shall be desolate. From Psalm 118, verse 8 and 9, It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in princesses. Proverbs 16 and 20 says, He that handles the matter wisely shall find good. And whoso trusteth in the Lord, happy is he. For a quote I had, if we do our the best, the Holy Ghost won't be best. And this particular series on the church in action. And tonight, or this morning rather, I um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit saturated church. Now, I've told you before, I've been trying to break this uh, old-fashioned idea. I, I get to thinking that I, I have to stop and realize that I'm, I'm 56. And I used to accuse people my age of being old-fashioned. And I realized the other day that that's exactly the way I am. <laughs> you know, like Holy Spirit, when I first came into church, was a charismatic term. And you just didn't say Holy Spirit because if you did, all the UPC preachers would think you're one of those. Now, everything is Holy Spirit. And so I've got to break through that and realize that sometimes change is good. Everybody say, change is good. Come on, come on. Now, some of you people are sitting back there just really cringing. Change is not always bad, is it? Do you realize that oftentimes you don't know what you could have unless you're willing. Now, of course, when I say this, I'm not talking about getting away from standards, none of that. I'm just talking about sometimes the, what you have going on in a church, that you have changes in leadership, you have changes in a lot of, a lot of areas, and you don't know what you're missing until you can just kind of get on board and, and see what's happening. And we are, uh, we are, before I really get involved in this, we are, uh, most of you realize, and, and uh, Jessica and Anthony are going to be gone for 10 months. 10 months. They've got to go to Texas. Got to, I, I, I think it's, I think it was either New York or Texas. I think it's El Paso. And he has to do that for the sake of his job. Now, he's going to be talking and, and letting everybody know this evening. He has to do this for a job. In order for him to be able to get a good job in Indianapolis, he's got to be gone for 10 months in El Paso. Um, so, so he's going to be gone, and during that time, we're going to have interim. Interim means temporary youth leader. Now, I've got a team that's going to be taking care of that. I'll talk to you more about that later. But don't, don't you know, 
Don't get all bent out of shape because of change. Number one, it's a temporary thing. If I don't like it, I'll change it. Okay? Uh, Lori is going to be looking out for music. That's the best way of putting it, looking out for. And, of course, Lori does everything perfectly. You hear that? That's the reason I give her the compliment. I got it all back. You see that? <laughs> so I got it all back. So she's going to be watching out. There'll be other people involved. Also, on, on top of that, I'm going to be having some deacon meetings here. But we have got an opportunity, and it will be uh, solidified this Tuesday in Gosport. We the old fire station, they have, uh, you know, unless something happens that looks real good, it's going to happen. They're going to let us have that fire station for two hundred dollars a month, and that they pay the utilities. Now, now I, we're going to use that is at the beginning as a. Um, this is I, I want you to understand. Getting into Gosport, I think when, when Brother Simmons was here that we did a lot of outreach, if you remember, in Gosport. And, and we, it's something I've been wanting to do for a long time, but I wanted to do it the right way. I believe eventually we can have a church there, but I think there's a right way and a wrong way. Now, just so, just so you'll understand, the, everything that has occurred within the last couple of years has led us to this point. Now, most of you, I'm not going to get in a lot of detail, but it just, it just hit me a couple of days ago. Uh, uh, Brother Williams is up there. Has got, he's got favor because he's town marshal. He's got favor in Gosport. He's the one that did all the legwork and meeting the board about getting this place to meet. And, again, we're going to have young people coming in. Our young people will be a part of that. So for the next, we're going to try to lease this for a year. So, so for the next year, we're going to be able to work with young people. And eventually, I hope to have some services in there on Sunday, maybe Sunday afternoon, maybe even Sunday morning. So that's that's the plan. Now this new team of youth uh, leaders, Greg's going to be. He's going to be the youth pastor's chapter. Well, we know this in real well, don't we? In verse eight. And then we're going to go to Acts two one through four. Then we're going to go Acts two thirty eight and Acts eight seventeen, Acts ten forty four, and Acts nineteen to six. Every one of those should be memorized, shouldn't they? But I don't trust my memory anymore, so I'm going to read them. Acts 1.8, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Acts 2.1-4, and when the day of Pentecost, actually Acts 2.1 and 4, I didn't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all in one accord in one place, in verse 4, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, Acts 2.38. Then Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Then, Acts eight seventeen. then laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Ghost. Acts ten forty four. while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on them, which heard the word. Acts 19 and 6, And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And I want you to raise your hands toward heaven right now and thank God for the Holy Ghost. Lord, we thank you for the Holy Ghost, Jesus. We thank you for your spirit, your blessings. We ask God that you would help us and strengthen us here. I ask in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, amen. Be seated. Wind and water are both components of storms. 
and they can be extremely destructive. In fact, they can go for, from destructive to disastrous, according to where you live. They are elements of weather that are pervasive, they are penetrating, and very damaging. Thunderstorms, hurricanes, they can drench, saturate everything with rain, and they can produce winds of phenomenal force. Now, the Scripture compares the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm trying to say it right here. But if I go back into my traditional way of speaking and say Holy Ghost, and we're close to Halloween, and you get all spooky because I say Holy Ghost. Now, don't do that. I'm going to be teaching on Halloween for those of you that enjoy my Halloween bash. We're going to have apple bobbing down front. Tony will be in charge of that. We're going to have pumpkin carving down here yeah, and if we do something like this in this church it's going to be long after I'm dead and gone I guarantee you that so you just understand that I'm just being funny here and that's the only reason I'm saying all this okay so you know you realize that 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 that, that the Holy Spirit Holy Ghost however you want to say it is a has been is is uh, talked to alluded to by Jesus by John by various ones in the scripture as as wind or as water Jesus on the at the Feast of Tabernacles when when he stood when they were doing in fact at the Feast of Tabernacles what they do is out of a golden vessel they pour water into another vessel as they were doing that would be just like you sitting here and watching me down front and I began to pour and everybody was all they were in a solemn moment and they were watching me pour this water which symbolized the Spirit of God in its own way they just didn't quite understand it and they seen me doing this all of a sudden Jesus stands up in the back and he said if any of you thirst he said come unto me and drink he was letting them know that something that he was going to leave with them was greater than a ritual something that he was going to give them was going to be greater than some kind of spectacle or anything that you could have down front he was going to give them something that would change their lives something that would stay with them something that would move them something that you can take with you in the darkest night something that can keep the fears away something that will allow you to know that heaven really is a place that you can be one day he was telling them this. I've got something greater than a ritual. I've got something greater than a tradition. I've got something greater than man can ever give you. And it is called the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God. It will be in you, not something that you view, but something that's internal. Oh, give him a hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. Jesus declared that the coming of the Spirit was like the wind. And after His resurrection, He breathed on His disciples and He said, Receive ye the Holy Ghost in John 20, 22. It was as though He was preparing them for what they would experience through the Spirit's baptism. On the day of Pentecost, the sound of a rushing mighty wind blew into the place where the disciples had gathered. And it filled all the house and they heard yet another sound. And that was the sound of speaking in other tongues. And He also saw cloven tongues as of fire letting them know that when you receive this there is going to be an outward sign there's going to be something that lets everyone know including yourself that I have come in there yes we have a different feeling but you also know that when you receive this wonderful Holy Ghost that you are going to speak in another language you're going to know this is not something that is an add-on experience 
This is the experience. When I receive the Holy Ghost, I receive the Spirit. But the sign of that Spirit inside of me is when I speak in tongues. Oh, come on. Don't you ever back down. This is the truth. I read an article this morning. It was kind of surprising to me that it was a parade magazine. My wife is gone for about three days. and She tries to keep me away from the paper. You know how I am about the paper. But she wasn't there this morning. So I got it out. And I opened it up. And I found something about Obama and I got mad. I found something about Joe Biden and I got furious. Then I found the Parade magazine. It said, Spirituality in the United States. And I said, well, this will be something to top off both the others. I said, I can get really angry now. But surprisingly, 40% of the people that was polled said that they believed. Now, again, we're, we're using a loose term here, but this was a term they used, that religion held truth. That it did hold truth. Not it, but religion held truth, 40%. Now, I was surprised at that high percentage mark. That lets me know that there are a lot of people in this country that are looking for truth. And we are apostolic church, period, all over the world, are purveyors of truth. We hold this wonderful truth. Don't you ever forget, don't you, don't you let anybody put you down. Don't you let anybody say, oh, this is not real. It's just something you work up. No, sir, my friend, this is something that God gave me. I prayed down, and don't you ever think that it's anything less than perfection. Whatever God does, God does it right. Whatever God does, He doesn't make any mistake. He doesn't do it halfway. He is the, oh, he is the one who's given me this wonderful spirit, and I'm going to enjoy it until the day that I die. You know, the likeness of the Holy Spirit as wind, water, and fire are examples of the impact that the Spirit's baptism makes on an individual. The Holy Ghost filled the early believers and made them dynamos of change. They were dynamos of change. I made that statement earlier. We've got to accept change. God changed me when He filled me with His Spirit. God changed me completely. I turned around from what I once was. And you know, every day of my life, I realize that this change hasn't stopped. God is still molding me, and He's using His Spirit to change me and to work me over and to make me more in His image. You know, ever, ever since God created mankind, He has interacted with Him to, to establish fellowship. From the, from the Garden of Eden, where Adam and Eve enjoyed the presence of God, to the construction of the tabernacle and the temple, the Lord exhibited a desire to commune with His crowning creation. That was mankind. The Old Testament lists many miraculous events where God called and He directed and He delivered His people individually and collectively, and they experienced the hand of the Lord in their lives, in times of need. Some of these incidents was, was as great, or, or I'm sorry, let me, they were as great as the outpouring of the Holy Ghost that the prophets had promised. Some of them were close to that, but they never quite got 
where they wanted. The prophets desired to look into it. Peter said angels desired to look into it. But nothing ever came up to the greatness of the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. Regardless of what the Old Testament had, and there were some great miracles there, and there were some great moves of God, and armies were put to flight, and, and you had great things that occurred, but nothing could change the heart of a man in the Old Testament like what has happened in the New Testament. No matter where you are, and you could have preachers preach the Old Testament till they turn blue in the face. They can preach about Elijah and Elisha. They can preach about Samson and David and Goliath and all the great things that happened. But friend, nothing, nothing can compare with the change that God made in my life when He filled me with the Holy Ghost. I have put down more Goliaths in my life than David ever has. I've seen greater feats of strength in the Spirit than Samson ever, ever had in my life and in the people's lives that I have, I have pastored. Don't you ever think, oh, I wish I had Samson to go and put all these armies to fight and kill 1,000 with the jawbone of a donkey. I didn't say the other word. Listen to me. Don't you ever think that was anything great? I've seen some of you put more devils to flight with just whispering the name of Jesus than ever picking up any jawbone. Are you with me? That's what I've seen. I've seen your lives turn around. I've seen some women who have had husbands that literally beat them, and they put the devil to flight by just simply standing firm on what truth is. Don't you ever believe that something that can happen in the Old Testament can ever compare to what we have right now? John the Baptist spoke of the spirit baptism just a few years before it happened. A few days before this event occurred, Jesus reminded his disciples of John's words. Mentioning, he said, the promise of the Father and the power that they would receive when the Spirit came. Jesus instructed his disciples to go to Jerusalem and wait. And after they watched Jesus ascend to heaven and heard the witness of the two angels who appeared to them, the disciples walked to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. The remaining disciples, Mary, the mother of Jesus, her other sons, and other men and women comprised a group of about 120 who assembled in an upper room. They all joined and continued prayer and supplication as they expectantly waited in unity in unity for the fulfillment of the promise in Acts 2, 1 through 4. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, I want to remind you of something. If you have not yet received this baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking with other tongues as the Spirit of God has given the utterance, then your day of Pentecost has not yet fully come. But it can fully come for you individually, just like it did to the early church. If you have not received it, my friend... Listen, you can receive it. You can still have joy in the midst of sorrow, in the midst of of a determined devil. You can put him to flight in the midst of people who will laugh at you. It may not seem like everything's going right, but we've got a God when your Pentecost comes that can make a difference and turn everything around. Praise God. An event as momentous as the promised Holy Spirit. Come on now, hear me. This event would not come, would not come and go in the blink of an eye. Now, after reading all the prophecies and hearing the teachings of Jesus, those in the upper room greatly anticipated the outpouring of the Spirit as they continued their united prayer vigil. 
And Wednesday night, Sister Sherry is, uh, we're having a prayer journey. And she sent me an email last night and talked about, she's going to have three, right? Three particular rooms that we're going to focus on. And what she said she was going to do is, uh, is going to be great. I encourage you to be at this prayer journey. I encourage you, if you can't pray more than five minutes, come in here and just listen to what's going to be said and try it. See if God doesn't. We're going to make a fast day Wednesday as well. And I'm going to say that this morning, I'm going to say it again tonight, that I'd like for everybody to fast on Wednesday. I want to see some things turn around. Can I, can I be honest with you? We're talking about the Holy Ghost and what the Holy Ghost can do. I would like to see some egos destroyed. I'd like to see some egos. You know, so many, so many people, uh, they get so bent out of shape. And, and when you get bent out of shape on anything, it's because you've got ego problems. I'd like to see some destroyed because if we can destroy some egos, then what we can do is we can see God operate in our midst. You can see some changes in your own life when you put your ego down and just begin to accept what God's trying to do. So we're going to, and that's just, we might throw that in there. We'll have an ego destruction room. Ooh, that's good preaching. Ego destruction room. Just throw me in there, lock a door. <laughs> Say, God, get a hold of him. You know, you know, when it comes to your personal ego and pride, you might beat your head against the wall trying, <laughs> trying to keep it. You really, you'd be surprised what we'll do. But, but uh, you know, th- this, this is what God can do. You know, this is, this is a wonderful thing that can happen to us. When we get in and begin to seek God, this is what happened in the upper room. They had a prayer vigil. They continued to pray until they got what they wanted. Do you realize that that never changes? Even though we've received the baptism of the Holy Ghost, what it took for them to receive it, it still takes today for us to get something more in the Holy Ghost. You don't, God just doesn't hand it out constantly. He wants you to pray. Come on, He wants you ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened unto you. You've got to continually ask. You've got to continually seek and you've got to continually knock. This is why they received the Holy Ghost. It takes the same today. Are you hearing me? I've got the Holy Ghost, but there's some things in my life I need to see change. I need to be delivered from something that is still not quite right yet. Yes, I've got the Spirit, but I need for the Spirit to completely take over this vessel. Now, while they were praying in this upper room, suddenly the elements of what both John the Baptist and Jesus had said about the Spirit appeared. They heard the sound of a strong wind from heaven that filled the house and tongues like fire appeared to each of them. John had spoken of a baptism of the Holy Ghost and fire in Matthew 3.11. And Jesus had likened the birth of the Spirit to the blowing of the wind in John 3.8. The house was filled with the sound of a rushing wind. Thus it was demonstrating that God wants to leave out no one. Nobody. Why was the house filled? So everybody in the house could participate. God doesn't just give somebody something and forget you on this side. He doesn't give this group one something and forget the middle. He doesn't do that. The house was filled. It was filled and the house is still full. 
God, are you? God's treasury never goes empty. You cannot use up everything that God has for you. All we have to do is to tap in to what God has already filled the room with. Are you hearing me? You just need to tap into the resources. Quit worrying. Quit stewing. Quit. Come on. Quit be, being such a whiner over what's not going right. Begin to look at the good things that God has already done. The house is full. Now, there was other sensational displays of God's power. They were all evident during this time. Speaking in tongues or other languages is what received the most attention. This, this joyous supernatural display continued until a large crowd gathered to hear and to see what was happening. People of numerous nationalities present in Jerusalem for the day of Pentecost were amazed and puzzled to hear this group of Galileans speaking in their languages. Moreover, they understood what was being said, and they exclaimed, We do hear them speak in our tongue, the wonderful, or tongues rather, the wonderful works of God. And Acts 2.11, We do hear them speak in our tongues, the wonderful works of God. So when the crowd inquired as to the meaning of this phenomenon, Peter stood with the eleven to answer this, uh, their, their inquiry. And he said, some contend again that the purpose of tongues was for preaching to them. But that's not true. When Peter stood, he preached in the common language of the time, which was the Greek language. He preached to them what was happening. He preached to them about Jesus Christ. He spoke in the common language. It wasn't tongues that was preaching to them. What they heard them say in their tongue was the greatness of their God. They heard them speak in 18 different languages the greatness. They were saying, Hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, in 18 different languages. And when Peter stood up, he just simply told them, he said, what you're seeing, everybody understood it, is something good that God has given us. This is the change that's coming. This is what the this is what the prophets and what the angels desired to look into. And you are here, 3,000 of you are here participating in something that is life-changing, something that will change your life forever and take you to heaven. He was letting them know the power of Jesus, that God had come in the flesh and given us hope and Giving us something grow. Are you with me? Something great. Don't you sit back there and think what you have isn't great. This is the greatest thing that ever happened to mankind. This is the power of God working inside of us. Oh. Oh. I got a. I got preaching. He's close tonight. Already soaked through. Wife's not here. Give me any other clothes. You know, one thing I never miss about him is the insults. <laughs> I walk in. I walk in this morning. You know, wife laid out all my clothes, thought everything was good. Sister Judy Sturgill follows me up and said, you got Lynn on the back of your coat. I said, it figures. My wife just walks out of the house and I get Lynn on my coat. You know, I just immediately. That's the way I used to. I used to work down when I was working for the state. I had this one guy. He could, he could get inside a septic tank and come out looking fine. 
I could get within 100 yards of it and it'd be dirty. Aren't you glad the Holy Ghost cleans you up, though? No matter what, no matter what the world tries to throw on you, Jesus takes care of it. No matter what the world tries to do to you, Jesus takes care of it. How does he do it? It's through this wonderful Holy Ghost that God has given us. Isn't it great to know the power of God and the way that God can operate in our lives? It is so wonderful. This is... Jesus, he, he promised it. You, know, you, you think about the prophetic evidence of this. I, I, I think that's so important. As God manifested the flesh, Jesus displayed the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. He possesses spirit without measure, according to John three thirty four. And during his time on earth, he often referred to the promise of the spirit. First, he told Nicodemus that he must be born of the water and of the Spirit in John 3, 5. And the book of Acts repeatedly demonstrated that the apostles followed this plan as they led people to salvation. Twice, Jesus referred to the Spirit as water to drink. I brought this up a little earlier. He told the woman at the well in Samaria about living water in John 4.10. He also interrupted the ceremony on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles by shouting about, If any man thirsts, let him come to me and drink. John explained that Jesus was speaking about the Spirit that would come to those who believe according to the Scripture. It is significant that the Apostle Paul continued to use the metaphor of, of drinking when referring to the Spirit's baptism in 1 Corinthians twelve thirteen. We drink with our mouth, which also is where the experience, the initial evidence of receiving the Spirit speaking in other tongues. Jesus promised to send the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, John 14, verse 16. Moreover, he said that the Spirit of truth would come and guide you into all truth. You know, I have, a, I have a double feeling on that. Number one, when you receive the Holy Ghost, He'll guide you into more truth. But I believe the Spirit of truth, when you walk into a church that is full of the Holy Ghost, a Spirit-saturated church, that the Holy Ghost will begin to prompt you, convict you, and draw you. You can sit back there and clench the back of the pew. You can close your eyes. You can grit your teeth. But the loving, wonderful Spirit of God is still that which is trying to guide you into what you need the most. <laughs> now, although several prophets spoke of the Spirit's coming, Peter chose to quote Joel's prophecy during his message on the day of Pentecost. He said, All flesh... That includes young, old, male, and female. And indicates that everyone has the opportunity to receive the promised spirit. And since the love of God and the sacrificial death of the Lord are for the whole world, so also is the promise of the spirit. It's not just a few. It's not just somebody who is, has gained such favor with God that God just wants to fill them with the Holy Ghost speaking with other tongues. If God did that, that would make him a respecter of persons. He doesn't respect persons. He filled me with a whole... I, I don't know. You know, I can't help... Maybe it's just because I'm up here and I'm preaching. I don't know. Maybe it's just because of the anointing. But if I was back there listening to this, I would get so excited because I felt that God did something so wonderful for me. I still look back 26, 27 years ago, and I still feel the same, that same exuberance when God filled me with the Holy Ghost. Because I didn't deserve it. I, I didn't deserve it. But God gave it to me anyway. 
I can't help it. Every time I think about it, every time I hear one person begin to speak with other tongues up here, I go back to the time that God filled me with the Holy Ghost. I can't help it. Why? Because I know this is something great. I am appreciative of it. I don't take it for granted. I don't deserve what God has done for me, but He did it anyway. And do you think that God is such a a one who would do that for me and let me feel this way and not do the same for you? You know, the believers receive a promise in Acts 1-8 that assured them of the potential of becoming a power witness. Let me... Let me give you something here. Now, what I say and what I'm about to say is something I always lived, and I have nothing against any form of outreach. Nothing. But this is something I've always uh, strove to do, and I I still do it in my life and still striving to get it perfected. And that is being a complete power witness. And being a complete power witness means that I don't just take and pick particular times to go out on outreach. I live it. Do you understand? It's, 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 it's listening to the prompting of God. That doesn't mean I, we plant seed all the time. If we're not planting seed, we're never going to have a harvest. But I don't always believe that every time we plant seed that you're going to immediately see some results. I know that I've seen results. I've been doing this for a long time now. And I've seen people go out and knock doors, and I've seen people pass out flyers and come back all, deter- all disturbed and seen about uh, two or three months or six months down the road, we have an influx of people. And then these poor people say, well, why can't we get that? Well, we did get what you, you planted. It just took a while for it to happen. That, that's, if you don't understand that, you're going to be constantly frustrated. And so every time I have the opportunity, wherever I go, wherever I'm at, I let God be the one who directs me, and I go, and I just begin a conversation with somebody. You know, the thing I've always learned is being a friend to somebody is a whole lot easier to be a witness. Isn't it? You know, that's what a power witness is all about. I don't look at them as some kind of derelict. Now, church people, different story. Become a derelict after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. No, that's not it, is it? No. I think everybody has the opportunity. Everybody should, everybody, regardless of who they are, you're going to try to be a witness to them. I may not necessarily pray them through the Holy Ghost the first time I see them. That doesn't mean I won't. You got the Holy Ghost yet? Good. All right, as long as you got it. You see, you know, just as, as long as a person can look and begin to befriend somebody, there's a way of discussing it, talking to them, and letting them see what's inside of you. I never push anything down anybody's throat. But I can, I, I can go to somebody and befriend that person and be able to give them my witness and tell them how great. I was able, while I was in Canada, to, to uh, in front of them, we had the whole lodge full of people eating. And, I, and somebody sat down in front of me and began to ask me about how I become a preacher. So I just gave my whole witness and everybody stopped and listened. Everybody stopped and listened. Because here is a preacher up there hunting bears. Not very good, but I was hunting them. I mean, I was so confused. I stopped along the road and shot a, a sharp-tailed grass. I thought it was a bear, but I got it. You know, you, you're always away. We, we let so many opportunities slip by because we have to have a set time. All right, today I'm going to witness. 
What about yesterday? All of a sudden you quit being a heathen, become a witness on Wednesday? Is it night when you hear that sound? You're in the bed. Here, you know, got a mouse in the wall. <laughs> a power witness. This is on the day of Pentecost. This is this is what you know. They they became. They should, you should have received power to be witnesses unto me. Now, from there, Samaria was in, uh, Samaria rather was the next region to experience the Holy Ghost. After the initial outpouring in Jerusalem and Judea, a tremendous revival had broken out in an unnamed city in Samaria. And as many believed what Philip preached and were baptized in the name of Jesus. Um, oh, by the way, just in case you don't know, Philip was a deacon. I heard that there's this, this thinking going around that you can't be a deacon and be an assistant pastor. Number one, just so you know, biblically there's no such thing as an assistant pastor. Just thought you would know that. But there is a deacon. So if biblically there's no such thing as an assistant pastor, then I can do whatever I want. Everybody got that? So if I want to make a deacon, if I want to make, if I want to make Joni an assistant pastor, I'll do it. See, look at that. You know, the worst thing in the world is for people who don't know what they're talking about to open their mouth. Is that good preaching? Hallelujah. Good. All right. Now, we're moving on. I just thought I'd throw that in there. Philip, Philip went down into some, this poor deacon was a preacher. He shouldn't even have been, he shouldn't have been, he should have stayed in the church and been a deacon. Instead, he went down and brought revival. Upset the, upset Simon the sorcerer. Messed him up so bad because, you know, the sorcerer, here a deacon comes in and messes up a witch. And he's not even supposed to be there preaching because he's a deacon. He should have been waiting tables back at the church. Oh, you. Can you believe? I don't even know. I'm not even sure people think. I think sometimes, sometimes we just, our brains go dead a little bit. Mine does quite often. Just shuts down and you say something stupid. And, uh, you know, you just need to look at, do you really believe that God doesn't want everybody that has this wonderful gift of the Holy Ghost to be out there preaching to whoever will. Don't you believe that? He does. So he goes down there. He matches, messes up Simon the sorcerer. In fact, he, he messes him up so bad. Obviously, something happened in Samaria. They must have been speaking in tongues because Simon wanted to buy the gift and... and um, and they couldn't, he couldn't buy the gift, and Peter was upset because Simon wanted to buy the gift, and he told him that he was, his money was going to perish with him. And, and, and so he said, well, don't say, pray for me that, that I don't have something bad happen to me. He said, please pray for me. And so he, he, he did. So there had to be something happening, happening in Samaria to cause Simon the sorcerer to want to buy it. 
And whenever you see that, I, I, you know, I've taught a lot of Bible studies through the years, and you come to this, and, and you have people who read just enough Bible to just mess themselves up. And, and so he, you know, people were, well, look here, they didn't speak with tongues. But why did Simon want to buy it? Obviously, it was more than just going up and saying, do you accept Jesus Christ, your personal Savior? Come forward, and he'll come in. Okay, come on up. Make a contribution of $10,000 to the church, and you are now saved. I guarantee you, if you do that, you'll be fine. God will take care of you. But that's not what it takes to be saved. You know, it's more than that. There had to be more than accepting Jesus Christ as their personal Savior happening in Samaria. It had to be more. So we, we see, and so apparently speaking in tongues was the evidence that accompanied the reception of the Holy Ghost, which is consistent with what had happened in Jerusalem in the upper room. Later with Cornelius and his household in Acts 10.44, and with the Ephesian believers in Acts 19 and 6. Now let's look at some of the purposes of tongues. The Lord gives concrete evidence of a spiritual work at each stage of salvation. How many of you remember when you repented? How did you feel, anybody? Big weight was lifted off. You feel that way. Like things were just lifted off of you. You feel good. So there was something definite, something defining that happened when you repented. So it was defining. Now, your burdens have been lifted. Water baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins initiates a deeper spiritual experience. As that person is immersed in water in the name of Jesus, or as the name of Jesus, rather, is invoked over him, what happens there is yours a feeling of cleanliness, if you would. Not that the water cleans you, but a spiritual cleansing. When the name of Jesus is invoked over you in water baptism, there is a cleansing of the spiritual man that occurs. So something defining happens at water baptism. So you have a defining moment, repentance. Defining moment in water baptism. Why then wouldn't receiving the Spirit have a defining moment? When you receive the Spirit, there has to be something that occurs. When you begin to speak in tongues, that is the evidence that God has already came into this vessel. And there is a joy. There is an exuberance. There is something that goes beyond my ability to stand up here and define it. There is a defining moment for you. And as you look up at me, how many times have I seen it? How do you feel? I just don't know how to define it. I feel so good. You can't define it. That's God's Spirit coming into you. And there is such joy in it. I'm going to tell you, if you don't have that, you need to, you need to find it again. I just don't have joy anymore. It's because you've not prayed through recently. If you haven't spoken tongues enough, then you need to come up here and speak in tongues. I just have a hard time speaking in tongues. Then you get up here and do it until you do. And if it takes all night, then you do it all night. If you can go home and find your laundry room and go in your laundry room and do it all night. I don't care, but do something until you find that joy again. This world is a joy-stealing world. The devil wants to rob you of every bit of joy that you've ever had. But the great thing about this well of living water is that you can come back and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And you can reho. You can get joy all over again a million times. 
You know, James identified the tongue as a small member of the body and can cause great trouble. Boy, it does, didn't it? People just talk and talk and talk. Ever been around somebody who just talks and doesn't really say anything? You ever been around that person that has recently taken a laxative of the mouth? And all they do is just, nick, 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 nick. you know, the bad thing about talking too much is that you do run out of things to say. And when you run out of things to say, then you say the wrong things. That's the reason James made that statement. He said, a tongue's an unruly thing. An unruly thing. He goes on, he said, you know, mankind has had the ability to tame all kinds of creatures. And they can work and they can perform. But he said, the tongue can no man tame in James 3.8. So I believe that speaking in other tongues is a divine evidence that God has taken control not only of the whole person, but of the one thing that you can't tame, the tongue. So he's taken control of all of you. You know, you see people, and, you know, pray, again, praying people through the Holy Ghost. You see them get right there. You feel the Holy Ghost. It's all over you. And all of a sudden, you know, they're thanking God, and they start getting stammering lips and other tongue, and all of a sudden they go, Hump. and you feel that wall go down. And you try to shake them out of it. Come on, come on, come on. You know, you're, you're right there. Why? It's because they don't want to lose total control. And they have given everything but the tongue, thus they haven't given everything. And so that wall goes down. But when a person can let go of every bit of it, they'll begin to speak with it. You know, so many people feel like, I've got to understand what I'm saying. But you don't have to understand what you're saying. That's the reason God takes over. You speak in a tongue that you don't know. That's the evidence. Now, the Apostle Paul also wrote that we have the Spirit to help us with our infirmities or our weaknesses in Romans 8.26. Furthermore, the Spirit helps us when we sense a need to pray but do not know what to pray for. It is then that, that the Spirit begins to intercede through us as we pray in tongues. The most powerful prayer that you will ever pray is when you pray in tongues. That is the most powerful prayer. It's when God is actually interceding, working through you to pray for what you really need to pray for. We have a tendency as human beings to want to pray for something for us. When God says, no, that's not what you need to pray for. You need to pray for this situation over here that you really don't know anything about, but I'm going to put it on you, and you're going to pray in another tongue for that situation. That's how God operates when someone is truly spirit-saturated. When a church is truly spirit-saturated, they'll begin to pray. And it's not just about me. It's about every situation. I have found out, and it's hard, and I don't care who we are, we still find it. You know you know situations in your life that you want God to, to intervene in. You know that, and you, you have a tendency that's all that's on your mind, and you begin to pray, and that before long you find yourself again going back to that same area of praying. God, when are you going to take care of this situation? What are you going to do about this? And instead, God is trying to get you to pray for something that really needs to be prayed for. He's got your situation well in control. And if you will pray for what He wants you to pray for, your situation will disappear. That's the way it works. Sometimes it's just a matter of letting God do what God does best. And that's take real good control of your life. Now, Paul goes on. 
and direct directions to the Corinthian church for the proper use of the gifts of the Spirit uh, includes, it goes on, includes a few verses about praying in tongues. And he wrote that someone praying in tongues is speaking to God rather than to mankind. And then he contrasted speaking in tongues with prophesying by saying that speaking in tongues is for the edification, or edifying rather, oneself in prayer, but prophesying edifies the church. He again reinforced the practice of praying in tongues as appropriate to edify oneself and to speak to God in 1 Corinthians 14. It goes on, and that is the individual edification, but there's also corporate edification. And Paul continued uh, his instruction for the proper use of the nine gifts of the Spirit in his first letter to the Corinthians. And then during Peter's message on the day of Pentecost, he referred to the Holy Spirit as a gift, Acts 2.38. But he never used the words, the gift of tongues. He never said that on the day of Pentecost. The gifts of the Spirit can only operate in the life of a believer after he has initially received the Holy Ghost. Now, do not fool yourself into believing that everything that speaks in tongues is of God. About a year ago, I was in my office and I, I got a call. And a lady was, was uh, asking for money and... I just let her know we have a lot of that. And I said, we're, now we're trying to help people in the church. I said, they, they, they need it. You know, I, I'm trying to keep it right localized. I was very nice about it. Well, she instantly started cussing me. And I instantly realized that this lady was a devil. And I just simply said it in a nice, monotone voice. I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And you know what happened next? She started talking in tongues. But it was demonic. Now, this was a strange thing about it all. As I was on the phone, this, and it was a spirit, it was speaking in tongues, and you knew it was demonic. It was no, no difficulty at all discerning that. It got further and further and further away until finally it was like it was in a distance and then just cut off. So I'm saying that not everything that speaks in tongues is of God. You can have people who, you know, say, well, they got this gift and that gift, but they never really received the baptism of the Holy Ghost as the Spirit gives the utterance. Speaking in tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. And if you are a saturated church with the Holy Ghost, you will realize what is real and what's not. Now, so it's corporate edification as well. Uh, he never used, again, the, the gift of tongues on the day of Pentecost. The gifts of the Spirit can only operate as, as if a person had received the Holy Ghost. Now, Paul limited messages in tongues to two or three, one after the other, with the interpretation necessary for the church's edification. Otherwise, tongues should be used for personal prayer and the edifying of oneself. It's also good for opponents of speaking in tongues to keep in mind that Paul said, Forbid not to speak with tongues in 1 Corinthians 14, 39. This applies both to using tongues for individual and for corporate edification. You know, there are groups out there that forbid to speak with tongues. They think all of it's of the devil. That's the reason we know that the devil has an imitation. Always remember about the devil, all he can do is imitate. And he's a liar and the father of it. The Bible tells us this. So he can imitate, and his imitations is always lies. But a spirit-saturated church will always be able to discern what is real and what is not. Now, going on, John described the Holy Ghost as the spirit of truth in John 16, 13. Therefore, we expect 
to receive guidance into more truth from his anointing as he leads us throughout our lives. This is not to suggest that we do not have the fullness of truth presently. However, as we grow and mature in, in Jesus Christ, we gain new and fresh insights into the Word of God. And certainly we can receive no new revelation other than that which the Scripture presents to us. However, we complete the process of truth when we apply it to our individual lives. This is the thing about truth. Truth is there, and we get revelation. God knows that we can't handle a whole lot at one time, or we would just blow up. But as you mature in God, there's new revelation. It's always been there, but it's new to us. And you begin to apply it to your life. It's one thing to read the Scripture like a textbook. It's something else to apply the Scripture to your life. And applying it to life is where it makes it come alive. That's where the Logos becomes the Rhema. It's when God actually begins to operate in your life, and that Word becomes alive to you. And that's how it has to be. We grow. We just don't stagnate and sit in one place and, and, and not do anything. God help us. And, and that's what happened. That's the reason there's so many denominations. And, and you know, I believe every denomination has, a, uh, has a, a modicum of truth. I believe that. You know, repentance is truth. They just don't go far enough. And, you know, I, I've said this for years in preaching. If apostolic Pentecostals are not careful, we'll do the same thing. I've got salvation, but my relationship with God, um, with the wisdom of God, the, the gifts of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit, or fruit rather, not fruits of the Spirit, I, I, I make that mistake too, the fruit of the Spirit, all of that is, it has to operate inside of me, and I have to grow and understand it more all the time. Now, just uh, and I'm running out of time. I, I, I'd like to I'd like to jump just for a minute to to the aspects of the fruit of the spirit. Now, the fruit of the spirit is not nine fruits. It is one fruit and nine aspects or eight aspects of that fruit. The fruit of the spirit is love, but there are other aspects of love: gentleness, kindness. All these are aspects, and the and the and the Holy Spirit of God is that which opens this up to us. This should be a part of what our life is. I have true love. I brought, a, I brought it up to the men in our camp out, and I was talking to them. And, um, Brother Trapani, you probably got to forward. He wrote a great article in the forward about the, some of our songs and how some of the words of our songs... Uh, they can get just a little bit to the uh, impure side of things. Now, I want you to understand, I don't believe everybody writes these songs got something wrong, but it's easy for a woman, Jesus, lover of my soul, you know, for a man to say, Jesus, lover of my soul, it's a little harder. Because, you know, I want to lay my head on his breast and all this. It's a little hard. Now, I know John did this. I'm not, don't, don't, don't go quoting scripture to me. But I know that in, in the case, sometimes I have problems with those. Because in our society today, one man laying another, on his head on another man's breast is... Uh, come on. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's a little easier for a woman to sing that song than it is for a man. You know, men, they like to sing songs about fighting devils. You know, things like this. But we, what I'm saying is this. There, there, there are oftentimes in, in spiritual 
arenas and areas that we, we have to be careful we don't plant thoughts into the minds. If, if I'm up here and I'm singing a song and all of a sudden that thought is planted in, in my mind or in my heart, then I've messed up my whole worship service. And I'm not telling you to quit singing that particular song. I'm just saying that there's also, men have a tendency to, and I said this to them, that we tend to hide. And I made this statement a few weeks ago. We tend to hide from things. You know, Adam hid from God because he was naked. We still get stripped down. And when we really, we really begin to think, you know, I, I, don't, I, I don't feel comfortable with this. Then we're stripped naked in front of God. Instead, we run and hide. We just need to bring it out. We just need to let, let things... And I believe that's where the Holy Ghost, when we, we begin to, to understand the gifts of the Spirit, or I mean the fruit of the Spirit, rather, and, and, the, and the works of the flesh. You know, there are 17 different works of the flesh that is mentioned in Galatians 5. 17. And actually, there, there's a lot more than that. It's not comprehensive. And we have to fight that, those every day. The fruit of the Spirit, love, loving God, is not a nasty word. It's not something lascivious. Loving God, a man can love God. A man can love God in the right way. I am a part of the bride of Christ, but I personally am not the bride. That's all right for a woman to think that way. I'm a part of the bride, but I'm not the bride. Because it's hard for us to, 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 to grasp some of this. And I know, again, we go back to Song of Solomon. We, we look at Song of Solomon and its, uh, you know, and its descriptions. It's pretty out there. But it's, it's talking about the church, not an individual. And I'm a part of the church. And so with this, I understand that I need the church, and I need to worship God, and I need to love God, and I need to be honest with God. Because if I don't do that, then I'm not truly loving God the way that I should. Something else that, that, that's near and dear to my heart, I, I, even when a person gets angry with God, I'd rather be mad at God than to ignore God. I'd rather talk to God and say, God, I don't like the way this is going. I don't like the way you're operating in my life. You say, boy, you're brave. No, I'm not brave at all. I'm just saying I'd rather tell him that than just to ignore him and walk around and begin to get bitter. That's the reason that when you, you have ought against your brother, you, you're supposed to go to your brother with that ought rather than allow it to become bitter. It's the same way with God. If you don't go to God with it, you become bitter against God and you ignore Him. And God would rather for you to be angry with Him than to ignore Him. You know, even anger at God is faith in God. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. So I've got, to, I, I've, got to, I've got to be pleasing God. So I've, I've got to have this, this fruit of love. And I've got love cannot be something that, and especially in men, that, that, looks, that acts and looks strange. I've got to love God with that, that agape love. I love Him. It's strong. You know, I've always believed that real, true love is strong as steel. I love my wife with all of my heart. I would die for her in a moment. I'd beat you with an inch of your life if you mess with her, and I don't care if I'm a preacher. I'll repent later. And if I couldn't beat you an inch of your life, I'd bite you or whatever I couldn't do. And you know, that's the way that our relationship with God should be. Strong. Not some kind of, of nasty-looking erotic thing. 
but it's strong. I love him. He's done everything for me. He's given his life for me. And I should be willing to do the same. And you see, that's what real love is and the aspects of love, gentleness, kindness, long-suffering. You know, what you're saying, I'm saying that sometimes you've got to be long-suffering with God. You know, sometimes we just have to, you know, when you wait on God to answer a prayer, it seems like it takes forever sometimes. You don't understand where it's going. After it's arrived, you look back and you understand where, why you had to go through what you went through. But going through it is difficult. Very difficult. But I just have to, I have to continue to abide. And I have to sometimes put up with things I don't like. Either that or I'm going to not allow the fruit of the Spirit to push down the works of the flesh. Because I don't care who you are and how much Holy Ghost you have, you still have the works of the flesh in your heart. And it takes that fruit of the Spirit to keep them down. Let's stand. Some of these days I'll finish this. If I go back and finish everything that I started, I could have another 10 years worth of preaching material. Because I always, uh, I never quite get done. Let's raise our hands toward heaven. Let's love God and ask Him to thank you, Jesus, for all that you've done. We bless you, honor you, and we glorify you. Right now we ask God that you would strengthen each and every one in Jesus' name. 5.30 prayer meeting for the men downstairs. Ladies in the prayer room, Lord.